Yeah, I'm looking for my second movie to watch today. And, uh, you know, in, in the spirit of it being the 4th of July, I figured I'd make that movie a Western. So if you have any Westerns, specifically ones on the Criterion channel, that you recommend I'll watch one today. There's not that many Westerns on the Criterion channel. That can't be true. Isn't oh, Rio they just Bravo... added a, a thing called Western Noir. Is, it, is Rio Bravo one of those movies you're not too much of a fan of as well? I, I've done a complete 180 over the years where I find old westerns kind of charming in their own way. Maybe we'll do My Darling Clementine if it's on the Criterion channel. It's not, I don't think so. Fuck. What about Red River? Huh. Stagecoach. Stagecoach is, is my Rio Bravo. I don't think Rio Bravo is fine. Oh, you don't even like Rio Bravo? I don't oh, no. like Rio <laughs> But what, how do you, uh, I don't remember, how do you feel about The Searchers? It's fine. That one's I've fine. I've warmed up to it a little bit. Okay. It's a good movie. I, I would say it's a damn good movie. The only thing that keeps me from saying damn good is the is the Mexican woman who becomes like a punching bag. A wife. Well, let's say the women <laughs> and minorities in that film are not treated well. No. That's what keeps no. me from, from uh, really... Like well, like there's some there's some elements where I could be like, oh, you know, it's the times, but it, it only goes so far. Yes, you can only be so charitable. The man who shot Liberty Balance doesn't have Jimmy Stewart. It does. Yes, that's a good one. I am so curious when it comes to 2022. When, fingers crossed, they redo the BFI list. How's it going to change? Because I think it's going to change drastically from from what we're. I think so too. Uh, seeing here, because I think there's a I'm lot wrong. of new critics, new yeah. directors. I'd like to think that by 2022, Mark Kermode will have campaigned hard enough for The Exorcist to be on the list. <laughs> there are so many films where I am thinking, like, why is it on this list? Why did you choose these movies over those? Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there not a single David Lynch movie on the list? There's not a single. I think there are a few shoe-ins for the next list. I think the two are... There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood. No, There Will Be Blood is on this list. It There Will Be Blood is on this list? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I, is it really? There's also not a single Coen Brothers movie on that list. Yeah, There Will Be Blood. We'll be watching it in a week or two. Oh, no, Mulholland Drive's on here. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. But there's still no Coen Brothers movies on the list. No, I think... I think In the Mood for Love is probably a shoe-in if it's not already on here. Interesting. No, it is already on here. Never mind. All these films are like... It's not on here. No, it's on here. The Red Shoes. That must okay, be Okay, come on. The Red... Yeah, okay. All right. I don't know. I, you know, I, I've still yet to see the Red Shoes, and I really want to. But I just have a feeling that I'm not going to like anything they make more than I like Colonel Blimp. I love Colonel Blimp fine. too much. Colonel Blimp's great. That's just fine. That is... I, I'm constantly updating my movies I saw for the first time in 2020 list. And I'm always just like, is it better than Colonel Blimp? And nothing is so far. Not even Anatomy of a Murder. That's not on there. 
Anatomy of a Murder. I, I would be fine with Anatomy of the Murder going on. Anatomy of a Murder is great. BFI. You know, you know how good Anatomy of a Murder is? I started watching this movie in my uh, living room downstairs. And, you know, usually if my parents see me watching a movie, if they see it's like really old, black and white, like, eh. My dad, who never watches anything that old, watched the last like hour and a half of this movie with me. Yeah, so a, a good chunk of the film. A good chunk. They were very invested. But that's the thing, right? Is he watched like a good hour and a half, two hours of this movie. And then when it was over, my dad looks to me and he says, it's amazing what people in the 60s found entertaining. And I'm like, you watched <laughs> the whole fucking movie. <laughs> you watched a lot of the movie. You watched a lot of it. You didn't even get the initial setup, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Another Ben Gazzara movie. I do like Ben Gazzara. The best Ben Gazzara movie. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to debate you. And it's not on this list. So, if we're speaking of films that are not on this list on the BFI list, let us also speak of films that are criminally on this lower on the list than they really should be. Okay. And with that introduction, I'd like to talk about Casablanca. Oh. Yeah, that's another one of those movies that when you told me that this is the movie of the week, I knew this movie was going to be on the list. But my God, we're down here with the color of pomegranates. What is going on? Where is it? I'm trying to find it. We are at 84 on the critics list. Oh, God. And the critics tied. Here's another fun tie for you. Oh, shit. We've been at a tie for a while now. Uh, yeah, we the have. Wild, the Wild Bunch, Brighter Summer Day, Greed, Color of Pomegranates, Casablanca, and Fanny and Alexander are tied at 84. Oh, my God. Is Fanny and Alexander next week? No. It's much higher on the director's list. So you have a while. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, so this movie... I don't even know how much we can talk about this movie because I think this movie is just perfect. So there's uh, spoilers from the first off. Uh, I think everyone has seen it or at the very least culturally has. Yes. Through osmosis has figured out what uh, Casablanca is. Yes. Casablanca is a movie I watched for the first time. Maybe I saw it when I was younger, but I watched it for the first time about two or three years ago. And Casablanca, I've always been interested in older movies. But it wasn't until Casablanca, and I realized how much I love Casablanca, that I incorporated a healthy mixture between classic and modern movies. If you look at my watch list now, like any given month or week, there's a healthy balance of like 50% 1980 to now and 50% before that. Casablanca is the movie that made me go, these movies are so fucking good. This movie is perfect. I love this movie. And I'm uh, the only flaw of this movie is that it's only a 85 or four. That's insane to me. Those are just general thoughts. Yeah, I think this film has a surprising number of logical flaws in it. Oh, interesting. Okay. A surprising amount. And yet, I've never seen a film that none of that matters as much as it. <laughs> doesn't matter in this film that every little thing I could nitpick about Casablanca seems so utterly insignificant 
to the accomplish the accomplishments and the high points of the film. Of and which I there mean, are like, several. Where things like the letters of transit, oh, some of the the politics and the uh, the power, like who who has the power to do what? What is the Vichy government? Oh yeah, doing? yeah. Okay. What are the Nazis actually doing? It doesn't always make sense. No, but it doesn't right. need to. It definitely and no one need to. ever cares. <laughs> this is one of those films where, like, you can point out the some of the the quote unquote flaws, like the letters of transit make no sense. They don't. And you think about it for thirty for three seconds, and you're like, "Well, why the fuck would I care?" It's so good. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. So there's there's with the rise of internet film criticism there is more weight has been given to logical inconsistencies. And there are some things that I do some logical things that do ruin a movie for me. Like, I don't know if I ever shown you that video of somebody explaining the, the actual plot process of the beginning of attack of the clones, having Padme assassinated. Have I ever shown you this video? No, you have not. Well, I'll just give it real brief. Uh, so, Palpatine wants Padme assassinated, so he asks Count Dooku, who in Count Dooku asks Jango Fett, and Jango Fett asks another bounty hunter, and then a bounty hunter uses a robot, and that robot uses bugs. (laughs) Where, when you really think about it, (laughs) it makes no fucking sense. (laughs) That's something this important... (laughs) fell so far down the chain of command (laughs) it is so unbelievably stupid that no matter how much the movie wants me to go it doesn't matter i can't shake that feeling Uh uh-huh this is one of those things because that is one thing i thought about during this whole uh, movie was the letters of transit i'm like okay how does this make any sense it's just letters that no one will question this is irrefutable proof but you're right it doesn't matter because the movie knows how important this thing is and you feel the weight of its importance and it's not so far-fetched that is unrealistic it is just realistic to, enough to work it's in this pretty unrealistic. yes yeah, it is it plays on the ignorance of the audience so that it seems less unrealistic than it actually is. Because they say that these letters of transit have been signed by Charles de Gaulle, mm-hmm. who wasn't even a member of the Vichy government. He was the leader of the resistance. So why would the Vichy government controlled Morocco accept papers signed by the leader of resistance without question? It's, it's Yeah, agreed. It's one of those things that it doesn't matter what it is. It matters what it means. I think... The letters of transit in Casablanca outdid Alfred Hitchcock and his MacGuffin in every single every single attempt that Alfred Hitchcock ever had to make a MacGuffin. The letters of transit beat. <laughs> they are the and the, you never the see epitome them. of but you either. hardly see them. Yeah, no, you hardly. I hardly but they see are them. the epitome of what a MacGuffin is in a film where. They matter so what they actually are matters so little, and it's, it's really just about getting things to happen around them. But 
The thing is with MacGuffins and Hitchcock films is that the importance is implied. Like in, what the fuck did I just watch with Cary Grant? To Catch a Thief, it's diamonds, which isn't the real point. It's more about catching the thief. Those diamonds, you don't really understand the importance because everybody's so rich and you can't really tell the monetary value. The location of Casablanca really emphasizes the importance of those letters of transit. And it's also one of the reasons why I love this movie so much is Casablanca in the context of this story. This is the edge of hell. Everything about this city is just fascinating to me. You have a bunch of people who just can't get out. You There's desperation everywhere. There's people who are fearing for their lives. There are people who are profiting off of other people's fear for their lives. There are people who are comfortable. There are people who are paranoid. This is the absolute edge of the war. And I think seeing all these people and how they react and how they're living in this world only emphasizes the importance of these letters even more. It's it's also interesting when you think about it from a perspective of World War II itself. Yeah. That the the film is almost a has rose tinted glasses for World War II before World War II was even it, well, much yeah, of a thing it, in America. It was nineteen forty one or two. This movie right. was made right, but it's it's like making a film that's nostalgic for something before that something has even really had a chance to happen yet. And it's mostly because the Nazis in this film are like declawed kittens. <laughs> Major Strasse just kind of walks around and acts like a Nazi in the vaguest sense. But even then, like there's no real sense of what the Nazis are in this film. And that's partially a byproduct of the U S was just entering the war as this was being made and there wasn't really a good sense of the atrocities that the nazis were yeah were making so the whole film has this kind of sheen this gloss to it this glossiness this classic hollywood storytelling to it that i don't think a lot of films do about yeah. world war ii even actual world war ii films like Longest Day, which is very much a classic Hollywood film that is more of an actual World War II film, even that doesn't have as much, um, what's, uh, as much um, glorification, as much simplification. Uh, I don't know. A huge part of it is that it does have that Hollywood glossiness, but this movie is... It's one of the best atmospheres I think mm. I've ever created. I don't know, because when, when I really think about this movie, when you really think about it, not a whole lot happens in this movie. Think about it. It only takes place over three days or yeah. something like that. There's not a lot of, you know, actions, double crossing, shootouts. It's a lot of people just talking, a lot of uncovering secrets about these characters. The a good 20 minutes is a flashback. It's yeah, it, you know these letters are introduced, and I thought, okay, what do these letters lead to? And then I remember, oh god, that's all that it is. It's just about getting these letters. It's it's about Rick Blaine understanding the importance of the letters and letting go. But a lot of that happens in these little microbursts of character development. That when it finally you know gets to where it goes, it is unsurprising. But you kind of it's kind of hard to recollect how you get there. It's just a whole lot of great actors, 
delivering great dialogue in these beautifully constructed sets that are just bustling at all times. There's just so much to this world that I enjoy. The the music, the smokiness, the detail in the the cafe. There's a bunch of different stories going on in the background. It never feels Hollywoody to me in its cre- construction, which, which is ironic because it's one of the most Hollywood of yeah. Hollywood movies ever made. Even when they made it at the time, they didn't think it was anything special. It was just no. another product in the assembly line. It was a product. There was so much haggling behind the scenes of like who's going to play the parts. Um, a lot of it was to, shut like, on loan. I think Ingrid Bergman was on loan from another studio. It was so much like you can. This is a film where you could learn about the classic Hollywood studio system and not need to talk about any other movie. This and The Wizard of Oz are two movies that always blow my mind when you think about how many cooks are in this kitchen and how amazing it still turns out. This is too many cooks, except <laughs> that it's perfect. It has like five started, writers. It started yeah, as a play. They, they started shooting it before they even had the ending to the script. And there's so many writers. And the director, Michael Curtis, Curtis was isn't considered the main creative voice behind the film to begin with it's the producer which was a lot more common back then which just blows my mind and how it like all came together that i so when i was watching this on the i technically watched it three times don't tell anyone why why um but it it was only really twice because i watched there was two commentaries on here one by with robert ebert roger roger ebert <laughs> and another three? one with film historian Rudy Belmer. Oh, interesting. And that sounds I, fake. I listened to both of them and I only half paid attention. So that okay. is one, maybe. And then I actually watched the film. Uh, but it was interesting because Roger Ebert talked about it more from a critical perspective, like talking about like what's going on in the film. And Rudy Belmer talked more about like the production behind the film and okay. spent most of it talking about the actors who was hired and all that, how there was a rumor that Ronald Reagan was originally considered for uh, Rick, the part of Rick. And the thing that really gets me is that this is Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman's, like their breakout movie was this film. They'd been in some stuff before, but this is the one that really catapulted yeah. them into all-time great stars. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite I just, I'm coming to the realization that I think I love Humphrey Bogart. Not all of his movies, but the movies that I really like with him in it are some of my favorite movies ever. And this just captures the the Bogart essence so well. Because there's a lot of darkness to this character. But unlike something like Sierra Madre, where we don't really see it, a lot of it is implied. You know, he's he's... This is a very dark world that he's in, full of terrible people, and he seems on the surface just like one of them, but he he very much distances himself from everyone. But it's just it's just a movie about a guy a little little cold heart warming up to love, and it's a very romantic movie. I love the flashback sequence, and I would usually hate something like this in a movie where it just becomes a completely different movie for about ten or twenty minutes. But it's it's a very a lot of the conflicts in this movie, there are no clear good guys or bad guys. Like this whole situation 
where mm-hmm. the woman has a new love thinking her old love is dead. You kind of want to hate the you want to hate somebody. Because it's a love triangle with no real conflict the, the, her husband doesn't really know anything about what's going on and he can't really say anything about it. And she's definitely conflicted. But I don't know. It's 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 a very compelling love triangle without it ever feeling forced in the conflict. I was thinking about like why does this love triangle work as, as so well as it does and I came up with the solution that it's because the it's not really a love triangle at all <laughs> it's two separate love squares her husband essentially isn't a character in that no. triangle that he is a background character in the film for most of it and it's really just about their Rick and Elsa's relationship. And that's just a complication in the relationship. Whereas in a lot of love triangles, you know all three participants, and you're like, you have to keep all three in mind as they go back and forth and whatever happens. But in this, it's just it's Rick and Elsa. And it's not uh, Victor Laszlo is essentially. He's a freedom fighter and he's yeah. a separate thing to that love triangle completely. Yeah. It's a phantom triangle. It's more just a line <laughs> between them. <laughs> I just want to, one of the biggest parts about this movie, why I love it so much is just how insanely great the dialogue is. I don't think people understand just how many of the most quoted lines of film are in this movie. This is one of the most dense movies for lines that are great. And not even like memorable, quotable lines, because even the most unmemorable lines are still they're, they're pack a punch. They're snappy. They're classic. It's just great. <laughs> It, there, there's here's a few off the top of my head that I, I, wrote I have down. a few too so uh the conversation rick has with one of the women at the bar where were you last night that's so long ago i don't remember well i see you tonight i never make plans that far ahead uh when he's questioned later by one of the soldiers what is your nationality i'm a drunkard <laughs> one of my uh claude rains later on in the film he says i'm i'm shocked shocked to find gambling going on here and then the the guy come uh, guy comes up to him here you're winning sir Thank you. <laughs> it's but that's the thing, right? Is that this whole too many cooks thing becomes even more baffling because this is one of the few movies that you could learn every every aspect of filmmaking is at its perfection here. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the most well edited movies, one of the most well written movies. It's beautifully I'm not gonna say shot. It is beautifully shot. But it's more so that the camera is just capturing the atmosphere. It's an amazingly acted movie. And then when you think about just how in, in the everyone making it probably was just like, oh, this is just another job. I don't, you can't really see any one person's individual passion mm-hmm. here. It is just the star. The, the most creative force behind this is the Hollywood system. It's almost like this is a Hollywood directed movie, but it's yeah. still perfect. Yeah. It so one last thing, one of the great, great movie insults of all time, throwaway insult is with uh, early on in the film, uh, Rick is talking with the, the Peter Lorre character. I love Peter Lorre. And uh, Peter Lorre says, You despise me, don't you? And then 
Rick says, well, if I gave you much thought, I probably would. <laughs> Just throw away. Great, great little, little so lines that lines. are clever, but are also, they're not... They don't call attention like, to themselves. Yeah, it's in, in a lot of recent Hollywood movies, there's lines like this. In a lot of like Marvel movies where they're quote-unquote clever, where they're being funny, but it has often has nothing to do with the characters themselves. That the that the the cleverness is something beyond the characters they're referencing, or they're just yeah. being clever for clever's sake. Whereas in Casablanca, every one of the snappy dialogue lines emerges out of the character and yeah. not some contrivance. Well, because usually if you have a line like this, I think that the, the director knows that a line like this is gonna be great. Because it'll be like a shot reverse shot, and then when the line comes, it'll be a little bit closer. This movie, people are just... Humphrey Bogart's delivering these amazing lines, and he's not even looking towards the audience. <laughs> another so another great Claude Rain line uh, that's a good character thing, throwaway line. Victor Laszlo says, well, I'll be there at 6. And then Claude Rain says, I'll be there at 10. It's just <laughs> like, he's a lazy corporate official. And that just that line is is snappy and it gets the 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 point across real quick. Yeah, you know, it, but it's also got some of the most memorable lines in all of film. Here's looking at you, kid. Of some of the, the most misquoted joints. as well. Yes, of all the played against Sam that does one. not occur in this film. No, it does not. Um, round up the usual suspects, which I never realized was from this movie, and I've seen this movie like three times. But yeah. It's just the the thing that I really appreciated on this viewing in particular was the cinematography, and you you briefly mentioned this, but I I'm gonna say that I think the cinematography in this I didn't give it enough credit. Past couple times I've watched it, and it's just this is one of those movies I think I'm gonna go back to again and again for different things, and now I can go back and see the camera is just always exactly where it needs to be it's nothing flashy like citizen kane per se but the camera is moving and dynamic in a way that feels ahead of its time really that there's a lot of shots that in a lot of classic hollywood movies it's very basic camera work but in this film you have some really great stuff. Like the entrance into Rick's cafe is the shot is of the sign. It cranes down and you see people entering the cafe and then it goes, the the guy holds the door open and the camera moves into the cafe. It's almost like a precursor good, good fellas shot where we're going in with the, the people. That's great. There's a shot of Rick and, um, I'm going to remember it. I'm going to remember Claude Rain's never character. I remember names. Uh, Captain Renault. Captain Renault. They're having a little uh, discussion outside of the cafe, and there's a shot with the... Uh, it's an effect shot, an early Hollywood effect shot of the, the landing strip behind them. And I thought that was another really great little visual thing because Rick and him are only ever shown together at, with the the landing strip in the background so like think about it as like in terms of like visual cohesion if rick and anyone else had been photographed 
together with the landing strip in the background, it wouldn't be as visually cohesive. But that shot is the only time we see Rick with that final setting in the background. And then when we get to the very end, it's like we're we're coming back to that. Like it's almost it's a visual echo to earlier in the film that we we see those two together in that space. That makes sense. You know, I get it. It's yeah, like you said, it's nothing flashy, but it's just so much of this movie is you're like, oh, it's fine. But then when you actually give like more attention to these details, you realize how amazing they actually are. That's what I'm saying. It's it's like it's the most objectively perfect movie ever made. And I can almost be a judge. It's one of those things that, you know, I always I understand that people have their different opinions, but I can't imagine anyone not at least liking this movie because anything that if you're a film fan, it has everything at least one person would like. There's it's just. I don't know how the, uh, how else to put it. It's just perfect. It's just perfect. Everything about it's perfect. The the other thing about the visual style is that it's almost like a it's a noir film. Yeah, yeah. Without being a noir film. But well, I also would say it is, is a noir. Is this not before Maltese Falcon? It might have been after. Like right well, the, 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 the atmosphere and the um, oh, the tone of it is definitely steeped in that sort of darkness, more darkness than light going on, and that's not necessarily um, solely in the writing. I think there's a lot. This movie is like most of it is at night. Yeah, with some really harsh shadows and stuff like that. It's got harsh but, shadows. A lot of Rick and Elsa are often filmed with these really expression expressionistic lights across their eyes or something, and like half in shadow. Especially when you compare the Paris scenes to, you know, the 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 present day stuff. Yeah, it's you know this is it, and Elsa is almost a femme fatale in a way. It, yeah, for certain parts, yeah. she pulls a gun on him at one point, so I think that qualifies her. <laughs> for that, that she's category. pretty and she has a gun <laughs> yep that's all you need well you know he's also the face of noir at this point but it's a noir he, film essentially it is. no it is it is it is not as um reliant on a lot of the iconography of a more typical noir not like a maltese falcon but it does have all of the elements it would need to be classified as a noir. But it's not one of those movies. When, when I think of a, a genre, and I, you know, I don't necessarily like to label this strictly, but when I th- the first thing that comes to my mind of this movie is romance. I, I think it is, it is more than anything a romance film, but there are these a lot of elements of war, drama, noir, a lot of it that definitely, you know... I was thinking about it, and I am upset that we don't get any romantic films these days that are like Casablanca, that are not like, this is a romance film that has other genres in it. Yeah. And so often these days we just get romantic comedies or romantic dramas and they're very one note aimed at a specific demographic and there's not a wide appeal to them. And it really bugs me because there there could be. I think there's a lot of great uh, 
modern twists on romantic movies that you could do that have well, a wider yeah. application. And, and no, I agree. I don't know. I don't watch all that much from the genre to begin with. So correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but the one thing I would say, the one that comes closest, obviously it's nothing like Casablanca, but Moonlight is pretty similar. In that it is I think at its core a romance. Yeah. I, well, no, you're right. That's more about a self-identity issue than a romantic issue. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> the only one I could think of was uh, Phantom Thread. Yeah. That's, a, that's kind of, but even then, that's That's more, more romantic than anything. But it's... It, Carol, maybe? Carol, maybe. Carol, yeah. Carol also, I recently Portrait of a Lady on Fire, maybe. But the thing about Casablanca is it's it's one of those movies that you don't th- you don't know it's a romance until you really start thinking about it. Whereas something like Phantom Thread or Portrait of a Lady on Fire, they're pretty far and away direct romance movies. With Casablanca, you Rick isn't introduced until ten minutes into the film. Elsa doesn't get introduced until like twenty five minutes into the film, and you don't you don't get the flashback until like forty minutes into the film, and. That's part of the reason why I really love the beginning of this film. And you you touched upon it earlier that there's so many background stories happening in that this is one of the great... If you want to know how to introduce a character, this is a great way of doing it, of starting your This is an amazing introduction. Where... To Rick, specifically, right? Yeah, where the film begins with the widest possible uh, context. It starts with... The literal world, a globe, and a narrator talking about the socio-political aspects of what's going on in the world when this film is taking place. And then it goes in. And then you see there's like five vignettes of people in Casablanca. There's the guy who they say, papers please, he runs away and he gets shot. And then you have the pickpocket guy. And then you see all in the background, you're introduced to all these characters who are refugees. And then you have them all looking up at the plane, at Rick, at the plane that's going down. Yeah. Um, and then you go to that and you get introduced to Major Strasse and Captain Renault. And then throughout all this, you slowly get a little bit more. Rick's Cafe, it's mentioned here and there. And then Renault mentions, oh, Rick's Cafe. Everyone goes there. And then you get a shot of Rick. Then you go to Rick's Cafe. And you go in there and you you visit a few people there first. And only after all that's happened, and you slowly get more and more information about Rick through third parties, and you get introduced to the world around him, then you get introduced to Rick. And it's a great shot, too. Takes its time. And finally, when you can understand everything around the character, you are finally given Rick. And it's just, it's, every every good character introduction has something like that. There is a buildup in some respect. It's not Indiana always Jones. a multi-scene endeavor like it is here. But the, that's, like, good character introductions, you, you, you set up an atmosphere around the character before you ever get to them. Yeah. That's yeah, a great shot of him, too, because you don't even start at his face. You start, like, below and work its way up, but... No, it's definitely. I told you, there, there's, there's a lesson for everything in this movie, everything. I think it's one of the best film endings of all time. Oh yeah, I love that final shot. Um, music is great. 
especially the the song of whatever the song Sam plays. It's a great musical motif. As time goes by. Yep, and it works its way itself into the actual yeah, score as well. It's so good. It's so good. At the end, the the plane, the final scene, that's actually a cutout that's using forced perspective. And those are uh, midgets it, that are working on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is I looked at the plane and I thought, oh, this doesn't look real. I didn't think there was midgets. <laughs> That just makes it so much better. See, this is another great thing about like learning about classic Hollywood style is this has also all the classic effects, the rear screen projection and the use of miniatures and models. It's I feel like the last movie that utilized these techniques to its fullest was Lord of the Rings. Yeah, probably. I mean, obviously you have like Nolan stuff, but that stuff is almost cheating because there's no real creativity. It's just he's doing it for real. Like, you know, the planes in Dunkirk aren't miniatures and there's no... Well, I guess they do have the cardboard cutouts in Dunkirk, but those are kind of obvious. They they did? The the beaches of Dunkirk? The people oh, who aren't people. direct... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't mean the planes. You know. <laughs> he uses actual fucking planes. But yeah. No, it's, you know... Everything can, I'm telling you, everything. You can learn so much from this movie. And it just blows my mind that this was just another, it's just another movie. It was just, it, no, nothing special about it in terms of how it came to be. It was just another product they spat out, but it turned out to be one of the greatest movies of all time. I think my favorite moment in the whole movie is when um, Ingrid Bergman and rick i never remember the names finally meets because you have that moment where she tells him to play the song and he comes in he's so in he's like i told you to never play that and then you have the romantic meeting oh oh that's romance uh, oh. oh has has there any has there been anyone as timelessly beautiful ever captured on screen as ingrid bergman timelessly timelessly are we talking contemporary or anything from Bergman on like I can think of a lot of beautiful actresses today but all of them seem to carry some baggage with them where there's a lot of people who don't like them oh a Grace Kelly yeah although I suppose I don't know I've never found Grace Kelly as attractive I've I've found it the the two things I really loved about this watch through cinematography and then just watching Henry Bergman's performance she's just great it's just wonderful to watch her on screen and they have great chemistry together. Her and they do. Bogart, surprisingly. And oof. Oof, the way they light her, classic Hollywood lighting. Oh, yeah. It's great. She's, you should watch the, um, I, I saw these on YouTube the other day, the screen tests Ingrid Bergman did. Amazing. I think, uh, you know, it's too early to say, but I would not be surprised if Margot Robbie had that same quality. She she has built up uh, the the foundation of being yeah. someone like that. If we're talking about women, you know, that's one thing. But I mean, if we're talking about men, Brad Pitt has looked amazing for almost 40 years now. Well, yeah. It, and he hasn't he's not slowing down in the slightest. He's even still amazing looking in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's true. 
Uh, another great, another great line. I'm just trying to throw out some some lesser known lines from this film. Rick, this is Major Strasser speaking. Rick, we know there are many visas sold in this cafe, but you've never sold one. That is why we allow you to stay open. Then Rick says, "I thought it was because I let you win at roulette." That's another one. <laughs> great it's it's snappy clever i can't say that enough i really can't i i will no, repeat you... everything i've said in this conversation a hundred times before i think i've adequately expressed how great everything in this film is yeah i know that's the thing is that i i'm struggling to even find things because everything is a positive uh oh uh i do like the guy who plays um captain renault uh, I forgot he was in Lawrence of Arabia. That's where I recognized him from. Claude Rains. Yeah. Kind of the He's same in, character. Uh, Notorious as well. Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious. Uh, Along with Ingrid Bergman. Never seen it. No? You have to watch it. Oh my god. That's that's the other great one. This and Costa... Those two are the black and white classic Hollywood movies that I think are the pinnacle. The movie that I th- was reminded of a lot watching this was The Third Man. Yeah, they they almost feel like companion pieces in the sense that the third man is sort of the post-war version of this story, where the romance is between Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles. <laughs> it's yeah. very much a edge of hell type of world, noir elements, romance. Um, Ooh, now you're making me want to watch the third man. I know you will. It's never a bad time to watch the third man. Let's be fair. And I'm definitely going to watch it at least two more times before we get to it on this list because that's one of my favorite movies ever. But yeah, not not much like this movie in terms of just how far reaching it is to all these different kinds of genres and moods and um, things and still managing to get it all. Um, there's a reason this movie is a classic and I'm not even going to ask whether or not it deserves to be on here. I'm only going to ask how much higher do you think it deserves to be? Oh, good. I was going to... I was thinking the same thing. Well, let me... I'm taking a look at the the list. I think it... I, I can get to 31 before I start to question. Not necessarily... Really? Not necessarily saying that it would win. Like, it could be much higher. Yeah. But... The the film at 31 is the first time where I'm like, this is where I'm starting to think that maybe this is where it belongs, maybe not. I don't know. I Wait, think what's, it's, what's the film at 31? Godfather Part 2. Which is also never, maybe a little low. but I have never seen that. Hold on, let me check real quick. Now no, this is, this is one of like the top 15 movies ever made. It, no, it is. Hands down. I don't understand why it's here. I have a theory. I think the theory was that so many people thought other people were going to vote for it. They oh, put their votes into other things that they didn't think was going to get enough love. Uh-huh. And that's why it fell down. Okay. And that, I think I will be proved correct in this theory a little bit, not official proof, but um, circumstantial proof. If in the 2022 list, it, it jumps uh. up quite a bit. Well, I'm you know, thirty one is a good number, uh, but let's also not forget that number thirteen is breathless. Uh, you, you know where I'm going to put this? 
know. You know where I'm going to put this? Just mm. glancing at the BFI list. I think this is, I would even say, top 10 movie ever made. So I'm going to put it directly in number 10. Because you know what that means? What? That means Casablanca is number 10 and eight and a half is number 11. You son so of a bitch. Go. <laughs> that, is, that is where I draw the line. But yeah. Hard recommend for Casablanca. It's also short, relatively speaking. Most Hollywood movie ever made. If there's one movie to ever prove that Hollywood was not entirely a bad idea, it's Casablanca. Just another product in the machine that had way more emotional in, or way more impact than anyone on the set thought it would. Amazing. Amazing movie. Perfect. One of my favorites. Yeah. It, it's the one black and white movie that I recommend without hesitation to anyone these days. That if you haven't seen Casablanca, you really need to. That's the I one? I don't think there's any other black and white movie that is as accessible nowadays. Okay, I'm going to make a, a claim here because I know this movie isn't on the list, but I would say, me personally, the most easily accessible black and white movie of all time is, I think, The Killing. <laughs> it's fun, well, it's short, it's very quick. And right out of your ass. I used to think it was Strange Love, but I showed my brother Strange no. Love a month or two ago, and he wasn't too into it. So I I've heard from at least three people that I know that Strange Love is boring. Oh, which that you know, hurts. That's just their opinion. But I've never heard anything bad about Casablanca. Never. That's fair. That's a great movie. All right, shall we get on to next week's? Get on I'm with curious. this. I never know before you tell me. So th- this is my favorite part of the podcast. You know, I just realized has not come out yet. What? I'm thinking of ending things. What? You know what that is? No. Oh, that's a, a Netflix financed, the next uh, Charlie Kaufman directed movie. Oh, no, I think I have heard of it vaguely. Yes. Yes. It was rumored to be surprise dropped in May and it still isn't. It's supposed to be coming out this year. Very excited to see that. Okay. The next film for next week is the British film Kess. What? K E S. Kess. Kiss. Jacob, I'm not going to lie. Every time there's a movie that I've never heard of, it tends to be bad. Okay. I think this one might be a exception to the rule. Okay. I've never seen it. You have not seen it. I'm going to. Okay. It's about it a boy and his pet kestrel. What is, is a why kestrel? I think it's pronounced. It's a bird. A beard. Oh, I love birds. Oh my god, I've seen a meme about this uh, on the Criterion subreddit. Okay, I'm down. Yeah, it's also ranked on the BFI a, a top ten British films of all time. Uh, it's on that list, like just the British films list. Interesting. Oh, look how cute this bird is. The bird's cuter than the kid. Oh, by a mile. <laughs> this kid is gross. <laughs> I feel bad about saying this to a child, but... Whoa. I don't. Uh, well, I don't feel bad about saying it to a... Uh, a, uh, a, cit- a a citizen of the British Isles. That's true. That is true. There's some baggage there. Sorry, you were, you were born in a an interesting place. 
Very interesting. All right, Kess. Kess is the movie. Looking forward to the, um, the bird. So yeah, what, what were you thinking? Well, when I was th- like, this has nothing to do with Kess. That's so funny. now, uh, oh, I was. Bacara I wanted had to watch nothing to do with. Casablanca. That's true. That's true. I really wanted to watch. Um... No, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. I was gonna say adaptation because I really wanted to watch that, but that's not what we're doing. Ah, shit. Hold on. Well, I just watched that, and I don't want to watch it again. So. You just watched adaptation? Yeah, like a oh, month okay. ago or so. Okay, well, never mind. We'll see. I don't know. It could have been two months. It could have been two weeks. The, well, Help me to recollect. <laughs> there's a movie that you don't know, make a really good pairing for this. Hmm. One movie that just got distributed Babe? online. Oh, was, uh, first cow. Oh yeah. First cow just got released online, so maybe we could do first cow. Is it readily accessible? readily accessible online it should be well it might cost like 20 bucks though it's not cheap on amazon no it is not pre-order when it's available on july 10th well it's not going to be cheap anywhere because it's you know uh it's new but I've, i've been wanting to see this for so long another kelly reinhardt film yeah, haven't didn't you watch most? You watched. Um, I watched a few. Meeks, you watched Meeks cut off, and you watched the w- other one with Michelle Williams recently. I thought Wendy and Lucy. Wendy and Lucy, and then another one that took place in Florida. Okay, well, Wendy you know, this is one suggestion. If not, we could do do the right thing. If you want to rewatch that, I'm down for anything. Do the right thing. I need to be in the mood for that. I don't want to be forced into that. Well, we could figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll cut it all out. All this, Point all is, this we'll out. be watching Kess next week. Yes. Kess is a yes. 